This is the Final Whistle Podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team. Uh, hello and welcome to a brand new podcast, Ask Wrexham. You asked, we've delivered. I'm Mark Griffiths from Wrexham AFC and I'm speaking to you as Wales and the USA are walking off the pitch after their World Cup match. And we will talk about World cup stuff. I think it's only appropriate considering the nature of what's happening with our fan base at the moment. But... Let's stop for a sec and just explain what this is. Um, we started Ask Wrexham as a hashtag on Twitter to try and get more interaction with you, the fans, during the commentary so we could hear what you think and answer your questions. Little did we know how how good an idea that would be. Best idea I've had in my life, I tell you. Um, but then I'm not the guy who invented vinegar. Please, someone find out who's the guy who invented vinegar. That man is a genius. Or woman, who knows. So the... What I do know is it's in the past, so if a woman did invent it, a man's taking the credit for it. That's just sadly how the world goes. But anyway, enough of geopolitics for a moment. Uh, yeah, it works beautifully. We get an amazing mixture of long-standing Wrexham fans sharing memories and, and asking questions about what's going on at the moment. And supporters from all around the world who are new to the club. Welcome to Wrexham has drawn them in and they want to learn more. And it is an absolute privilege. It enlivens the commentary no end. It allows us to have some really good interaction with you. We absolutely love it. But there's a problem. You're too good at sending interesting questions in. And so as a consequence, we struggle to get through them all. In fact, I usually send a good chunk of my Sunday just going through and replying and apologising for not getting to them in the broadcast. So we thought, why not start a podcast answering a few of your points and also maybe replaying a few of the, the key ones that you raised from the the match that was were answered and deserved maybe a, a non-live audience. So so let's kick it off. And it seems appropriate, let's be honest. Let's kick it off with Wrexham World Cuppy stuff. Because Michelle Olsen asks, what are your thoughts on the Welsh team and players in the World Cup? Um we and also thanks for the Dragonheart bits which we did last week talking about Qatar and how it's a controversial selection as a host nation. You can listen to last week's Dragonheart, of course, on all the usual channels. Plus, um, this week's will be the final part of our review of the problems the club had before the fans took over. But anyway, that's a different matter. Michelle, thanks for your question so much. Yes, um, well, the, uh, my thoughts on the Wales team and players, are, you know, I wanted to do a f- full disclosure. This is after the first match of the campaign. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think the fact that it's the only group of four teams in the top 20 of the FIFA rankings tells you something. So my thoughts on the Welsh team is that they are terrific. They're extremely well organised. They have a smart coach, but they're in a tough group. This is the sort of group that will be decided, I thought, by fine margins. The fact that Wales are just drawn with the USA, I think, backs that up somewhat. The fact that England spanked Iran was a big surprise to me. I thought Iran were dangerous in this group. They may still be, of course. Sometimes teams start horribly. you still got time to, to turn things around. It'd be really interesting to see what Iran are like on Friday against Wales. I mean, the thing with Wales is they're, they're quite a defensive counter-attacking team. Something they got wrong in the first half against the USA, and I thought Wales were fortunate to be a goal down at the break. <clears throat> we conceded too much ground, and the other slight worry with that approach is that you rely massively on players like Bale and Ramsey, who haven't got much match time between them. I mean, both of them, sadly, have had lots of problems with injuries throughout their career. Both of them are talismanic and magnificent talents. Um, 
in the second half of the game today, they, they were more proactive. And it was interesting to see that. But I'm not going to... I think it's facile and simplistic to say Wales should learn from that and not play like they did in the first half. Because that's often how Wales play. They just do it better. And the second half, I think, again, it's a bit naive to say that's how we should do. I think if Wales do that against England, I think they'll leave too many gaps and get punished. Uh, that, that game turned a little bit naive, I thought, in the second half, which was to Wales' favour. Both teams going for it. <laughs> Cushing for the win two tired teams, a very stretched game that could easily have gone either way in the closing stages oh, by, by the way, I, having said that can I just suggest American supporters you start a petition get a, a Costa on Mount Rushmore it's a beautiful illustration of how an incident can be seen in complete opposite ways that final incident of the game when the keepers come out of the box, not dealt with it, and Bale's brought it down, and looks like he's going to shoot from the halfway line and try and score. It's a difficult skill, but the goal's empty. If he hits her on target, he's going to hit <laughs> a goal. And Acosta just nailed him from behind and took a yellow card. Yeah. I said bad words to my television, directed at Acosta over that, believe me. But um, from an American point of view, he might have just earned a point from a game. So, he's, <laughs> you know, some of us would say, oh, that's so cynical others of us would say well done mate you've just earned us the draw um so yeah my views on the welsh squads i think getting through the groups will be a success after that you, you never quite know wales are after all paired with probably the weakest group as are the usa so if they avoid the netherlands who knows um senegal are a good sign but without Manny, as we saw today they lacked a little bit in the penalty area so you never know Wales got decent prospects. Moving a little further on, the, the next point about the World Cup, um, any Wrexham in the World Cup? <laughs> From always sunny, oops a daisy, in Arizona. Nice one, beer, bear, bear. Is that right? Yes. Right, yes, there are Wrexham in the World Cup. I like the way you put that. Firstly, we've got three ex-Wrexham players in the Welsh squad. We have one. Joe Allen's there, isn't he? I saw him on the bench. He's in the squad as well, isn't he? Uh, Allen, however, none of these three have got long-standing links with Wrexham Football Club, sadly. Um, Joe Allen, like I said, early in his career, so we're talking about, about nine years ago, ten years ago, was on loan to Wrexham from Swansea. He looked absolutely magnificent. He played his first game. He, he ran the game and was utterly superb and scored. Second game... He ran the game absolutely brilliantly and then picks up a serious injury, went off at half-time, and that was the end of his loan. If he'd stayed, that was Wrexham's first season in the National League. Who knows? If we'd had pretty much a full season of him, we might have gone straight back up. Alan was that good. He was clearly far too good for our, our level. The other two ex-Wrexham players, Danny Ward, the reserve goalkeeper, who started off as a youth player for Wrexham, was a massive prospect. He only played one game in the Wrexham first team. Strange affair, in fact, um, because he was a youth team keeper. Like I said, a lot of, I mean, new big teams were looking at him. We got a very peculiar situation that won't go into the details now, but basically we played Brentford in the FA Cup and on the same day had to play Airbus, which is a local team in the Welsh Cup, a Welsh league team, um, so on the same day, so the Welsh, the, the Brentford game was massive. So the first team went there, and then the youth team played in the Welsh Cup. But that is a first team match, so quite a few of those players never played for Wrexham again. They were the youth team. Uh, they lost two one 
ironically, because Ward dropped across uh, <laughs> to concede the goal. So we, Wrexham were winning, and uh, they lost in extra time 2-1. And that was Ward's only game for Wrexham, strangely enough, but he was a huge prospect. He moved on then to Liverpool and then on to Leicester after having successful loan spells at clubs like Huddersfield. And the third ex-Wrexham player, in the squad is Mark Harris, and that's a slightly odd one. Uh, he was on loan to us about three years ago as a young winger from Cardiff, started superbly, and then went spectacularly off the boil to the extent that, although it was a season-long loan, Dean Keats came in as manager, um, and I think rightly judged that Harris wasn't contributing much and cancelled the loan halfway through. However, Mark Harris does live on in Wrexham folklore, or at least in my house, because of my revered object. That is Mark Harris's boot from when he Wrexham drew that season at Notts County. Um, if, you can't, if you're listening to this rather than watching it, I've got a boot on me and basically what happened was Harris was a victim of a rather late challenge and the boot was ripped in all down the side. And after the match, we went down the side of the pitch to do interviews and it was just sitting there. And I checked with Geraint Parry, who is Wrexham Football Club through and through, the man who is Wrexham Football Club, and I said, what'll happen to that boot? And he said, it'll get chucked in a skip. And I said, well, I'll have it then. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and so I have the boot of a Wrexham World Cup player. What what foresight I showed. I've got to say, oof, didn't smell great then, still doesn't now. And I'm not saying that for laughs. Genuinely, it honks. Um, as for other links, however, we do have Harry Wilson who comes from Corwen. And Corwen is about 35 minutes drive from Wrexham. He was born, I believe, in Wrexham. He is linked with the Wrexham area. My lad is the same age as him. He's played football with him. Um, and if you're watching on the video, uh, there's a nice mural that was made in Corwen, his hometown, just before the World Cup to celebrate him. There was also a mural of him put on the pavement outside Dinas Bran in Flangochland, which is his secondary school, which is about 25 minutes away from Wrexham. So, you know, these, he's a local lad. He played for Liverpool for a bit. He left them in the summer, but he's done well on loan to Bournemouth, Derby, and he's a key player in the Welsh team. And the other link with Wales, oh, I haven't got a picture of him, beg your pardon, is Nico Williams, the left-back, who is from Kevin, and that's a, a satellite town on the edge of Wrexham, if you will. So it's about, well, it's about six, seven minutes drive outside of Wrexham, shall we say. So there are a couple of local lads. Uh, Nico's brother was the second youngest ever player to play for Wrexham, although he then left to go to Swansea. Very promising young lad, only about 18, 19 now, I'd imagine. So there are, there are Wrexham links with the World Cup squad. Um, Gavin France, oh, you know what? I keep struggling here to, to come up with an answer for this. He asked, Wales have never failed to get out of a World Cup group stage. Yeah, we've been in it once. Uh, what stats do Wrexham have a 100% record in? Goodness me. Um, we've never failed to get uh, to the quarterfinals of the Scottish Football League Cup because we were in it once. Why? That's a long story, but we were, and we managed to get there. We lost to a youth team, although it was the youth team of one of Europe's bigger clubs, Rangers. I'm struggling. I'm going to have to think good and hard about that. I like that question. I like that question a lot. Um, we've won every cup final we ever played at the Millennium Stadium. That's one as well. Never won in 90 minutes at Wembley. No, I'm not going to mention that one. Don't like that one. Let's move on quickly. Uh, Donnie Peake uh, from Navarre, Florida, saying... Um, 
is it shameful for an American to root for Wales instead of the US? Don't think the US team will even make it out of the group stage. Oh, Donny, you got to listen to your heart. You got to do what feels right to you. You know, um, if you want to, if you want to go, you know, Snowden, Dragon, and Daffodil rather than Rock Flag and Eagle, that's your call. Uh, and we'll love you all the more for it. But fair play if you if you want to stick to the US, especially after their first half against Wales. I think you'd all understand as well. And um, so let's move on. Let's move on to non-World Cup stuff. So Kelsey Bailey, with Wrexham's goal being to get promoted into the next league, how do non-league teams get promoted up into the National League? Um, right, now, quick explanation here as well. The Wrexham's league is called the National League with capital letters. Ignore that for a moment. I know what you mean. You're saying how we're getting a bit higher up. Um, right. It's it's a slightly long story, if you will. 1888, told you it was long, Football League is created. There's only one league with 12 teams in it. It then expands to two leagues, then expands to four. And for, for much of the time then, between the start of the 20th century and, well, I would, no, actually, yeah, until the 19, late 1980s, there's no automatic promotion into those four leagues. So those four leagues are seen as real football, league football, if you will. So the leagues below were non-league football. Uh, it was only in the mid-70s that that, that that was actually organised into a pyramid structure. So you had a top non-league league, if you see what I mean. But there was no promotion relegation between. There could be movement, but only if A... A club went out of business in the league and had to be replaced, or B, if they were voted out. So the bottom four in the bottom level of the football league would have to be subjected to a vote of all the clubs in the football league, that included the top division then, who decided whether they should be removed and another team brought in. Now the thing is, that was very rare, because why would you vote your mates out? You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a closed club and you only have to vote members out if you feel like it. So as you can imagine, generally, this just didn't happen. Wrexham, under that system, finished bottom of the bottom league once um, and were re-elected. That was in 1966. In the late 80s, automatic promotion was brought in between non-league and the football league, but only one place. So if you finished bottom, you dropped out, and if you won the non-league, you came up. Even then, it wasn't guaranteed. If your ground wasn't good enough, they wouldn't let you come up. So Stevenage Borough, and I think Kidderminster as well, who both later joined the football league, um, were rejected after winning the league because their grounds weren't good enough. Um, so... <laughs> That's how the system works, except now it's been changed. There's now two teams go up from Wrexham's League to the Football League. The second team is chosen by a playoff system, so the teams between second and seventh at the end of the season play off against each other in a quite convoluted system to decide the one other team. Wrexham failed at the penultimate hurdle last season to get up. Um, and then below us, the leagues become regional from that point onwards, so they have promotion and relegation. The major problem with this system is only two teams going up and down from our league, which means the teams will come down and be stuck at our level. We are the worst example, sadly. We've been at our level now longer than anyone else has been. Um, so that's a problem for us. 
Uh, you know, there have been times when we've contended, there have been times when we come second, but if you don't come first, you're not guaranteed victory, and the playoff is a lottery. And I would point out to American fans that the postseason is seen differently here to the US. The postseason is your goal, as I understand it, in American sports and Canadian sports. You want to get in the playoffs, that means you've had a good season. In Britain, if you've had a good season, you just go straight up. The playoffs is like the sort of consolation prize, if you will. One more of you still can go up, and it's fraught with danger. There's there's always an element of randomness and chance about it, and it's generally seen as more a, a, a scary, stressful thing than anything else. Hope that answered your question. Um, Albert Strauss, can I explain the transfer rules? Is there a transfer win uh, window, thanks in advance, from Tampa, Florida? Um, yes, there is a transfer window, but now it gets weird as well. Again, everything gets weird. Why can't we have something simple? In British football, there are transfer windows. So in January, you can you can buy and sell players. Then you can't again till the end of the season. And then you can buy and sell players in the summer. And then it closes at the start of September. So there are two points where you can buy players. Simple so far. But at Wrexham's level, those windows don't exist. So theoretically, you can buy and sell players whenever you wish. Wrexham are administered by the Welsh FA, despite being in the English system. And the Welsh FA insists that professional teams stick to the windows. So until this year, believe it or not, and I would... Frankly, in my opinion, and I strongly believe this, we'd have gone up last season were it not for this weird anomaly. We could only buy players in the two windows and all our competitors could buy players whenever they wanted. So last season, Stockport were able to replenish their squad as and when they chose to. We couldn't. And as a result, I think Parkinson did very well to recruit most of the team he needed in the summer, but didn't complete the job. We had a faltering, I would say, first half of the season. We were okay. We kept ourselves in contention, but we weren't better than other teams, if you will. In January, he brought in three more players. They were extremely judicious signings, and that rounded the team off. And in the second half of the season, we built momentum and did look far too good for the, the other sides, including Stockport. I know they eventually won it, but that's because we gave them a bit of a head start before we properly got the squad together. Please remember, at the sharp end of the season, we beat them 2-0, then 3-0, and both those games were comfortable, I thought. So, I think we were unfortunate then. FIFA intervened at last last summer and said that that no longer applies so they, they've given us a special dispensation so now we can buy players anytime so now Wrexham are also not restricted by the transfer rules so sorry for the complicated response Albert but the truth is yeah transfer windows do exist but from this season they don't for Wrexham so we're on a level playing field with the other teams in our league if we were to go up, the transfer windows would come back in, but that's okay then because all the other teams would have those transfer windows. So it's been convoluted and, and frankly unfair, which is why we were granted this special dispensation. Um, if we do bring players in, of course, there's a lovely tweet from Rural Detective. Nice bit of photoshopping. Cristiano Ronaldo in a Wrexham shirt. Um, he says, we can dream. Well, I mean, are we dreaming of that? Will Ronaldo be happy... He's not happy to be on United's bench. Will he be happy to be on Wrexham's bench? I think not. I'm not picking him. I had a Palmer and Mullin. He can, he can whistle for it. He'll be leaving a few Wrexham games before the final whistle if he signs for us. I promise you. Um, 
here's a question from Barcode Mark, who says, um, how do we think we do in League Two of the current squad, and do if we need to strengthen it, where? Now, Andy and I spoke about this at the match. He said, Stockport had a rough start in the Football League this year, because they had a team went up last year, but they had better results lately, and Grimsby are one place below the playoffs. Um, well, we talked about this at half-time. I think that this squad has been put together to be good enough for League One, which is two divisions up, and the players have been brought quite often from those levels. Um, so, frankly, I don't think there's any urgent need to improve the squad. In the summer, I think Phil Parkson did a good job of rounding it out because we did lack depth in our squad, as I said in the last answer. We, you know, we had to make three signings to round the team off. But injuries, I think, caught us out, especially to Aaron Hayden at the end of the season. And we didn't have much off the bench to, to influence games that were going against us. So, yeah, I would argue that we've got a very good, well-rounded squad, which I think I would expect to be up at the top end of League Two should we go up. And also, I think if we went up again, I would expect to be very competitive in League One. That's the calibre of this team, I would argue. I mean, look at the league table and consider it as if it was a normal league with three up, three down. How far are we ahead of fourth place are we already? We're not even halfway through the season yet. That's how strong we are. Um, having said that, we would bring players in. We definitely would, because why stop improving? So the fact of the matter is, if we go up this season, we'll have a, a team ready to hit League 2 running, but we'd, we'd build as well. We'd add more quality in again. And that came to something Andy and I talked about. We, we might have to make tough decisions about players who are very good for us, but if you can bring in an even better player, you might have to say to players who, who are good, we like you, you can stay, but you won't be guaranteed a place anymore. Moving on from that, snow. Snow was a big discussion point last week. It was brilliant. It was thanks to the tweet by Monte... Ch oh, it's Jim, isn't it? His name's Jim. I always forget. Jim, your name's Jim. I remember it now. He sent a fabulous picture on Ask Wrexham of the Buffalo Bills Stadium under loads of snow. Their game had to be moved to Detroit because there were four feet of snow on the pitch. How much snow has the race course ever got? Well, that led to a fun uh, debate amongst a few of us. There was a great picture from Spitball Idea showing a nice pic of American college football in the snow. Look down the bottom and you'll realise that's not a black and white photo. That's colour. Whoa, that's nasty snowstorm. I'm going to try and compete with that in a second, spitball idea. But first, he also pointed out that there were problems getting the game in Detroit simply because the players they had to make sure all the players could dig themselves out of the snow in, in Buffalo to get across. Anyway, snow with Wrexham. Well, uh, Spirit of 78 sent some nice pictures of Wrexham games in the snow. I remember a similar one um, against Mansfield, I think a little earlier than these games. Um... And then we also talked on Saturday about the famous game in 1997. Wrexham played West Ham in the FA Cup on a very snowy pitch. Where basically they did the traditional British thing. And if you're on the video, you can see a picture from the West Ham game that shows it. Where you clear the lines, paint them blue uh, rather than white. And then use an, a bright orange ball uh, to make it stand out against the snow. And so we did play... We, you do play games in the snow. There's a... There's a it was a real... Um, it does tend to make the game a bit of a lottery because the conditions aren't so good for playing football on. Another famous incident was our first ever cup final outside of Welsh competition when we got to Wembley for the first time to play in the FA Trophy final in 2013. Unfortunately, there was a spectacular cold snap and the game wasn't in doubt. It was the fans' attendance that was in doubt because Wrexham had thick snow and everybody was worried, will they be able to get down there 
in order to watch the match or not. And the, lots of fun pictures of fans making giant Wrexham snowmen and digging out their their drives in order to be able to attend. I tell you what, on the day it was freezing at Wembley, but snow free, and we won. So that was a good thing. Anna also said, what about when volunteers had to uh, clear the pitch? Wasn't that a few years ago? I'm not sure. I think that's happened a few times, actually, Anna, to be, to be honest, I'm, uh, I think. Uh, Andy Davis um, said, for the actual amount on the pitch, probably that Wembley weekend in 2013, um, that'd be the pitch. Uh, he also said, uh, playing-wise, the West Ham game springs to mind, as we just mentioned. And he also mentioned uh, some of my favourites. Playing against Fulham, quite right, when Hughes hit the bar... And snow all fell down and Durkin hit the rebound. Yes, I remember that very close of my favourite Wrexham goals. That's simply for the aesthetics of it. I was commentating standing on a temporary gantry in the snow. It wasn't nice. Um, and it was funny, the shot hit the bar. And a beautiful, perfect, horizontal line of snow just dropped off it. It was very nice. And while the goalie was evading that, we scored the rebound. Uh, I found the footage of it actually not long ago, and it doesn't look as good on the video as it did in my mind's eye. Which I think is just because sometimes the camera doesn't catch things as well as uh, you might hope. And also Anna remembering the snow piling up on the road as, as we were travelling down to Wembley, where she'd ever seen in Wrexham. And that's saying something, Wrexham can get quite snowy. Uh, Alice Wardle has a, a good snow at the race course story. Her dad told her the story about when he went to watch Wrexham v Chester on his birthday where they played with an orange ball due to the snow. I think I might be aware of those. There was a season, a notorious season, where we drew Chester in two of the cup competitions at the race course and lost both of them. At least one of them was in quite snowy conditions, I seem to recall. Gary Bennett, who would become a hero for Wrexham, uh, scored in, I think, both those games. He certainly played in both of them and tormented us in both of them. And as a result, when we signed him, he was a very unpopular signing until he scored lots of goals and we got promoted. Everyone forgave him then. The next season, he scored lots of goals on a higher level. And the next season after that, he was a top scorer in all of Britain. So yeah, by that point, we definitely let him off. Even though he did actually miss a penalty against Chester in that second season. Um, we'll forgive him that. And Steve Moss says, as a teenager, I remember taking the spade from our shed and walking to the race course to help shovel snow off the pitch in the hope that the third round FA Cup tie against Liverpool could go ahead back in the 60s. It didn't. Well, now, there's a tale. 1963. Very famous bad winter in Britain. Um, Wrexham played a game at the race course in December. And then the bad weather came. Another game was abandoned. Another Wrexham game in December. Uh, we drew Liverpool in the cup. And as Steve rightly says, it was called off despite the fans coming to clear the pitch. We were desperate to play this game because everyone knew this bad weather was in to stay. And everyone was a bit concerned as to whether, you know, our cash flow situation might be a real problem and we might not be able to get through it. So we were desperate to play the Liverpool game, which would have had, of course, a, an absolute capacity crowd. And so they did it again. They cleared the pitch and the fans piled in. And this time the game did take place on a rock solid snow covered pitch. Uh, picture up there, I've just shown a couple of pictures of. Uh, at the race course, at the game, fans crowding on the snow. They, like I say, the fans cleared the snow off the pitch as best they could. Um, the other picture I showed is of Liverpool players 
warming, uh, practicing at their old Melwood training ground for the game. So conditions weren't fabulous. The game did go ahead, though. Liverpool won 3-0, but Wrexham got some very, very useful money in the coffers. And we didn't play at home again until March. So we went essentially three months without a game at the racecourse. We played a couple of away games at the end of that period. That's bad weather. Um, a more recent one, we played a big game at Macclesfield as the thumbnail, if you're watching on the video that I made for the highlights of the, of the game, um, other than clearing the lines. It was on TV. I wonder if it would have played, been played if it hadn't been live on TV. It was horrific. Before the match, I, I should have put this picture up on the video, I found a dead rat frozen to death on the floor of the press box, poor thing. Um, the game itself, it snowed throughout the game as well. Mad conditions. Uh, Wilson, the Macclesfield centre forward, scored a hat trick, um, and it was a real. It was, it was cold. I'm telling you, it was cold. Uh, PGHE Wrexham says he was at that Rex Macclesfield game. We had to get the late train back because I had to buy a new pair of shoes. Um, the away end is not covered at Macclesfield, and so everyone. Must have got soaked in there because snow throughout the match. Bus Tales Northeast says, What was the game where the Wrexham players won the pitch drying it with towels after heavy rain? That was Aldershot last season. In fact, interesting little tale. Uh, before the match on Saturday, uh, the Ald Aldershot media guys are lovely. They're really nice guys. And one of them came up to me. And the first thing he said was, Oh, I guess I'm not very popular here after what we did to you last season because it was an awkward situation. Wrexham comfortably in control at 0 0, but a very heavy rain. The referee abandoned the game, well, suspended the game about five minutes into the second half because the ball wasn't rolling properly. Now then, it was, it was suspended. The rain didn't really stop. The pitch couldn't be saved and the game was abandoned. Now, I must say first and foremost that I don't think there was anything that could be done about that. I don't think there was any way to save that match. So much water on the pitch. It inevitably had to be called off. What Aldershot did and why the uh, media chap was so apologetic, I did put his mind at rest, don't worry, was that the official Aldershot response wasn't great. Basically, Wrexham were furious because the Aldershot groundsman you know, refused to do anything to try and help the pitch. Now, okay, it was probably going to be a doomed attempt, but in the interest of decency, you should probably be seen to try to do something, but he didn't. The Wrexham players were livid, um, and one of them claimed that he'd actually laughed at them when they said, aren't you going to do your job and try and get the pitch right? Uh, because, of course, all the shot losing 2 0. If the game's abandoned, we're going to have to play the whole thing again. They don't restart it uh, where it was left off. So, all the shot would have been happy to it to be called off. Like I said, I reiterate that there's no way they're going to save it. But I don't think he had anything to lose by being seen to help. So, I think partly to make a point, the Wrexham players came out and started to work on the pitch themselves. Aaron Hayden with a broom, the ultimate sweeper, uh, getting water off the pitch, Mullen putting a towel down and stomping on it. So, I mean, let's be honest, that's not really going to save the pitch. It was more, I think, of a point-making thing. Um, Christian Dibble as well, with the sort of squeegee uh, bringing all this water up. It was madness. And it was, I think, embar an embarrassing look for Aldershot. Um, interestingly, though, the, the media chap I was talking to said the actual proper groundsman wasn't at the ground that game. And therefore, if he'd been there, probably it would have been handled a bit more sensibly. But it was bound to be called off anyway. It just was a bad luck to sort of refuse to try and help. Um, so anyway, 
we had to go back and start from scratch. And we won 5-0. So, <laughs> Rex were quite happy by the end, including a fabulous goal by Jordan Ponticelli after an amazing piece played by James Jones. Look it up in last season's highlights. It's a corker. Um, JJ Roberts, or is it Jay Roberts, uh, says, if interest in the club is continuing to, continues to build, with hopefully successive promotions, and the ground renovated along the way, what's a suitable size capacity for the ground to ultimately hold? I'd say twenty five to 30,000, but not sure we could build that size on the current location. I'm going to talk through some elements of that, but if I'm honest, I'm not sure. It's the honest answer. Um, I didn't think, despite this fantastic takeover, that we'd actually have this level of crowd coming this soon. So I'm I'm finding it extremely difficult to gauge what's realistic or feasible or a target in terms of future crowds if we go up the divisions. I mean, obviously, the owners have been very clear in saying that they feel we can appeal both east and west and south. There aren't many big clubs in that area, you know, from Stoke, which is an hour to the east, across to Wrexham, and then across all the way to the Welsh coast uh, or the west coast. There are no big clubs really, and then indeed going south, well, I mean, down the borders, you go down as far as Bristol, aren't you really? Um, so there's a big potential catchment area. I don't know whether it's realistic to say we we, we could need a stadium that big. Um, what I will say is, yeah, the current location is probably quite limited, isn't it, in terms of further expansion. The the mooted new cop, which has now got planning permission, was add five and a half thousand onto the capacity. So we're talking about about fifteen and a half thousand. But then the Mould Road stand hasn't really got any potential for for building because there's a main road right behind it. The Wrexham Lager stand has got a small car park behind it, but the issue there is it's not behind the whole of the stand. It used to be before the flats were built, the students' accommodation was built, and for more on that, like I said, Dragonheart this week will focus on that and talk about why they're there. Before they were built, that was a huge car park, and that would have given us an awful lot of room if we chose to, to develop and take that Wrexham Lager stand back a hell of a long way if we wanted to. But we can't do that now because it's blocked off at one end by student accommodation. The stand behind the other goal, again, we would have to buy land off Glindu University. No, maybe that would be feasible. Maybe that would be possible if we wanted to, to, to expand that way. But the scope to make it the sort of capacity that J.J. Roberts is suggesting is probably not there. I wouldn't have thought... I don't know, I don't know. Bournemouth are surviving on the sort of crowds that we get in the Premier League at the moment, so maybe you can cut your cloth according to your means. But um, it would be nice to have a good enough capacity to be holding regular Welsh games, for example. Um, Michelle Owen, what are our thoughts on the Welsh World Cup? Oh, that's the first question. I've done all the questions. Good Lord. Doesn't time fly when you're blathering away? Excellent. Well, I hope that works then, our Ask Wrexham podcast. I'll do it every week if if it goes down well and responds to your questions, keep the questions coming in. I, I admit there's a problem with Twitter possibly going pop. Um, and we're, we're looking at alternatives. We haven't come up with a proper alternative yet. But Ask Rexham really works beautifully on Twitter. So please, let, let's, let's assume 
that it doesn't get muskified and that we can carry on on Twitter. Throw your questions in. We'll, we'll try, obviously, to answer them as many as we can on match days, but keep them coming whenever you want to, and we'll hold them back maybe for this as well. Uh, so let's hope this is a successful experiment, and if so, we'll keep doing it. And if not, let us never speak of it again. Dragonheart's out on, on Wednesday. Full matchy stuff again coming up at the weekend. Full commentary on Wrexham player, of course. Who knows what pie will turn up this time for our half-time taste test. And there'll also be on Thursday a Greatest Games video of one of the great games from Wrexham's past. Which one? I haven't decided yet. Sorry. So remember, subscribe, like, review. All these things help us massively in terms of being able to, to produce more things for you, to be honest with you. So thanks very much for your questions. Thanks very much for watching or listening. I'm Mark Griffiths from Wrexham AFC. Pastor Vinegar, Bonjo. This is the Final Whistle Podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team.